0: and welcome to Marketing in Times of Recovery. Here's part three of my interview with Amy, Nikita and Dave. If you've not checked out parts one and two, make sure you do before listening to this one. Enjoy. How have you found LinkedIn for your clients, Amy?
1: I think it's been really useful, actually. I think there's been a a really um, big pull towards it. I think, you know, like the other two have said, it's just there's less engagement, like you might not have the likes and things that are there. But but what I find really interesting is looking at um, like click through rates back to your website. Like I find that really fascinating. You might yeah. have had four likes, but you've had, um, you know, 50 people click through to read an article on your website. Um, or people just in real life, when you see them again, often will refer back to what they've seen on, yeah. on LinkedIn. So it, it is interesting. I think um, it is a great way to start building relationships. And I think it's a bit of an untapped resource i think people just aren't really using it very much like I, I know i sort of tap in and out of of linkedin instagram i tend to be on there all the time but linkedin i kind of get a bit bored with it because there's some people who are like voracious on there and it's boring you know they're not providing yeah. really good content but but for the ones who are providing great content i i, I keep wanting to follow them right and i want to share yeah. their work and um so i think it is about creating engaging content doing stuff that's of value making sure it's right for your audience um But I find when the clients that I'm working with who do that tend to get a um, really good work out of it. One in particular for us has had, you know, I think they're three times as busy as what they were pre-COVID, you know, like and and they put a big push throughout 2020 on doing LinkedIn. And and it was because they talk directly to their audience, you know, Mm. that's where their audience Mm -hmm. lives and that's where they're on every single day. Um, So it worked for them, you know, it was the right channel.
0: I mean, I think that especially with LinkedIn, I think is the LinkedIn lurker, isn't it? You know, that person who doesn't respond to your posts, but they're there, they're looking, they see your comments, they see you. Exactly. And they may approach you directly. And that's the thing. And I kind of think there is that thing where people don't realise it's like, oh, no one's engaging with my posts. It's like people are still registering, you're there. And I think that's the king thing about, you know, you stay in front of mind as well. So I mean, I love LinkedIn. It's it's my probably favourite platform out of all of them, but me personally. Yeah but um yeah, but yeah it's a so,
1: consistency thing too i think yeah. it's you know it's like you said it's the ones who are the who are the stalkers on social media who don't actually interact they're not engaging but they're there and they're watching all the time and i think that's yeah. why consistency is so important and it can, will continue to be important if um you know the way that we're going in the digital platforms and how they're all, all tracking i think um consistency is going to win over everything else
2: Okay. Yeah. The people people that are consistent, like Nikita, like I I know that if I don't log into LinkedIn for two weeks and I log in, the first thing I'm going to see in my feed is like Nikita's latest post that has like (laughs) 85 comments. And like, because that's going to be right at the top because in my network, even though I've got, you know, probably, I don't know, a couple thousand LinkedIn connections or whatever, I would say probably like 50 of them maybe even less are posting as consistently as yeah now? So it's like,
3: yeah, so I, yeah,
2: sorry. Yeah, no, that's it. I mean, so I think that's what Amy's saying is key. Just like if you just do, you can get, you don't have to do that much. And I think it can have a big impact mm-hmm. on LinkedIn.
0: Absolutely. I think they're saying like 5% yeah. of people who actually registered actually kind of post content on there. So that's a really small pool, really, when you think about it. So there's a huge amount of opportunity on the platform there. And there still is. And
3: and when it comes to c- consistency, it, like it might seem like I'm doing it a lot, but I actually only post probably once every two or three weeks. So yeah. it like it isn't. It doesn't even have to be like every day or every week. So that consistency is just like I know. Like probably once now. Nowadays, it's once every three weeks. Probably going to post something told
0: you. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. <laughs> Well, just a bit of a spoiler alert. Someone said to me today, like I got an email from a client saying, can you just write my website by the end of the week? And I was like, it's Thursday. And so my post is about how I just don't sit down and write.
0: I love it. There's a process to your fantasticness and magic.
1: Um, Can you do it by the end of the week? That's just too funny. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's like, oh, no, it it does make me laugh though, but you're right. Because you've got website projects. It's like, okay, so... what's your messaging? Who are you targeting? And like kind of stare at you,
3: tumbleweeds. (laughs) I will say say, like for every post, like, and hopefully this comes across and I guess Dave and Amy and you you can tell me, but for every post that I do write, like, even though it is quite controversial, I always try and have like a takeaway, like some sort of a, something that they can apply to their website. So if I'm like, slagging on like call to actions or something then i'll say like you know this is what you can do and you can immediately apply it to your website or i guess it's that and I, i tell my clients that as well like architecture should be trying to educate you know or like impart some sort of a value like i'm not just ranting
0: for the sake of it like there's always like there's yeah. a point to the rant. Hopefully, no, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there is, and I, I right, do. I, I'll end I with mean, that. I, well, on social media, if I see really good kind of action points, I screen grab it. I, I I look at stuff for inspiration for how people frame stuff. But you're right, and I think always having those takeaways, and it's quite. For me, you know, I get inspiration from loads of different places and you kind of just, you know, take little snapshots of stuff and then come back to it later. And yeah, your, your posts always have a, this is how you can do a CTA well. And then you show, which is, which is brilliant because that gives people that idea on what they can be doing. So it's always useful content, but always lots of comments. Um, <laughs> so in terms of kind of, I guess practice websites, let's just kind of have a quick chat around those. So are they kind of any trends that you've seen in websites and what people are doing now? I remember that there was a time probably about 10 years ago when everyone's websites were spinning and that made me really dizzy. Um, <laughs> it was, wasn't it? there's was like so much motion. But um, nowadays in terms of practice websites, um, are there kind of particular trends that you're seeing people, people are kind of favoring at the moment, Nikita? Um,
3: yeah. I mean, like probably Dave can speak or Amy can speak to this better than I can, but I mean, in terms of trends, um, I'm hoping that um, the trend is to have a little bit more copy on it so there are more words like a value proposition or a tagline yeah. um, that really you know I think research shows you've got 10 seconds or something to grab their attention so really kind of grabbing it and also moving away from this idea of it just being like a project portfolio where you click on it and there's just like a grid of project images I image, think image, image. Um, yeah. yeah it is more about the storytelling I've got some Great examples um, that I'll share with you, Dave, um, of good Please project so. descriptions that, you know, tell tell the story, um, you know, really draw in kind of like before and after shots and sketches and, you know, as Amy was saying, like showing the process behind it. So I've got, I think I'm seeing a lot more of that. Um, but, yeah, I think just moving away from just project, 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 more about the people behind the firm because at the end of the day, like clients are hiring the team and the people rather than the name people. I guess
0: actually. yeah Amy what trends are you seeing in terms of websites and what people are doing in the architectural world
1: um, well I'm finding at the moment we're redeveloping a couple of websites at the moment and um both of them um again very like heavy people focus like Nikita said you know that like, is definitely a uh, um the personality behind the practice. Um, from a, like from a, uh, a look and feel, I think a lot of them are trying to simplify and get lots more white space and um, be less maybe less bold with their logos and things like that. I think um, they're trying to make it about, about the work and, and writing about the work and the process of the work and the people behind the practice. So I find, um, I'm finding that's kind of what's happening um, for me anyway for the clients that I'm working
0: with currently. And Dave, any trends that you're seeing that are any different, or anything particular things no, you, you're kind
2: Exactly, exactly what I mean, Kida is saying. I think aesthetically, they're getting simpler, um, more chill. I think these websites are starting to finally chill out because <laughs> <laughs> I think architects have been <laughs> architects websites have been doing way too much for a while, and I think like <laughs> even if you know, I like you know when I when I meet a new client like it's usually like you know nine out of ten times they're just going to have a simple Squarespace website and I love that I think that's totally fine I mean brands are going to go out and get you know um, custom branding and everything like that but you know you just want to keep things really simple and exactly what Nikita's saying about having more copy letting letting copy actually do what it should do not being scared of having writing on your website which I think is always this fear of like are people actually going to read all this? And like, is that, you know, I just don't want it to be lots of writing. It looks like I'm, there's always this deep-seated concern. Again, I'm always interested in the psychology of like why all architects think the same. And I think, you know, one of the things is sometimes it's like this idea of like, if I'm seen to be like trying too hard, it looks like I have to, it looks like there must be something wrong with my work that I'm like trying this hard to like sell myself, right? There's always this kind of, that kind of concern comes up. But really, I think there's just, you know, uh, architects' websites have just been basically like information nutritionally lacking. They're like McDonald's cheeseburgers. They're just like, (laughs) there's like nothing there. There is nothing there. There's no protein. There's no nothing, right? So you're just getting this like, portfolio and like a color palette and you're going like, great. Okay, cool. What did I actually get from this website? Did I, did I come here for, did I come here for a reason? Like seriously, Mm -hmm. as a visitor, Was there a reason that I came here? Probably. There was probably several things I wanted to know about this company. Let's not treat architects as like super special. They are companies at the end of the day. What did I Mm -hmm. want to know about this business and what they do? Yeah. And they gave me nothing of it, right? And that's the most annoying thing. So, yeah, sorry, getting on a bit of a soapbox about it. But I I think that like... (laughs) So how do they get away from the
0: cheeseburger day? How do they get away from that? Yeah,
2: No, exactly. Doing exactly what like Nikita and Amy are talking about, like like... Don't don't rely on the visual as much and just start to think about, well, I, I personally think like how do you get the nutrition back in? Think about the things that you actually just need to explain to people. Like I'm not an expert copywriter by any means, yeah. but I generally like to try and get my clients thinking about what information did somebody come here looking for? And I know that's like a little bit boring, but... Um, Are are you giving them what they're actually looking for? Like, I always like adding helpful pages to my clients' websites, like FAQs, like where you answer Mm -hmm. frequently asked questions. And that's the things that people
0: ask you all the time. So, you know, when someone comes up to you... Exactly. They, they, you just yeah. note those down. Okay, they start to be this. The,
2: they ask you the that. except people ask you all the time, I like project pages to have more information about the client and their brief um, mm-hmm. and yeah. some, you know, maybe some stuff that I can't see directly in the photos is, like, important. Um, if they're a firm that does, like, a few things, like say they do, like, houses and restaurants and, you know, airports, um, I don't want their about page to have to try and address all three of those audiences. So I like them to have, like, individual pages that are devoted to each of those different areas so that they can write something about how we design airports and they can write something about how we design restaurants like i kind of want them to have a little bit more segmentation on their website as well so yeah those are just some of the things that i um i try to push for with my clients i wouldn't say it's like an overall industry trend but it's a trend in the people that i get to um nag into doing what i want them to do so so yeah Mm. that's 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 a big thing with the websites so
1: if you go on, oh sorry I was thinking too with the copy, like I think what's interesting is I think there's either there's um, these people have these websites that are very um, like portfolio driven, like you said, you know, it's all about the pictures and that's it. Or then there's the ones that are really content heavy, but it's maybe not the right content, you know, like yeah. and Nikita can probably talk to that. It's I find it's like you go into this thing where, you know, they've written three pages and it's just it's three pages of just words and it's very architectural and it doesn't actually speak to the audience. And I think, um, like use the words, but use it use it well. Like an em- employer yes. copywriter, like spend your money on that because it's actually really useful. And it's the returns on that is it's going to far outweigh um, you know your diatribe on what architecture means to you. Like it's just it's so boring for the audience. <laughs> <laughs> mm. You know what I mean? Like they no, just, no, no, they, yeah. just they just think, well, that's exactly why I don't want to work with an architect because you know they're too far above me I can't relate to them it's you know how are they going to be able to create something for me or for my project um that isn't about them yeah
0: so Mm. any kind of tips on Uh, how to approach copywriting for architectural websites Nikita that you think kind of if you did these three things or to make it better for the audience
3: I think the whole time and that's why so I actually for my clients you know Every marketer does like this whole client, whether it's an avatar or profile or whatever you call it. Like you've got to have your ideal client um, in mind, and every time you write something, you have to think how are they going to respond to it? Is it the right language they use? So, going back to my LinkedIn post, which I'm about to put up, is it's more about that research, and that's what copywriters do. Is like I would say almost sixty percent is research, and that forty is writing. So every website copywriting project i do i interview five to ten of their past clients so i sit on the phone and i'm like i ask some questions you know how did you find working with them? What were your objections before you started working? As you said, Amy, you know, like they might say, oh, I just thought the architect would just not listen to me or they'd just run with their own ideas or they're trying to create an award-winning house or something and not really taking my needs into consideration or whatever it is. So I pretty much, you know, transcribe all our conversations and then I sit there and I just think, okay, like what, you know, it's called voice of customer data. Like how can I pull this out and put it into words? So a lot goes on behind the scenes to get to get those words so I think um going back to your question is one of the biggest thing they can really do is really get to know like what type of clients do they want to keep working with and how do those clients talk like do these clients talk in Archie Babble or do they talk in just a normal conversation and like a really good tip if you're if you're an architect and you know you have to get to your website copy and you're kind of scared of that blank page I always just say go into Google Docs you know, click onto that um, voice typing tool and just start talking to your computer. Like that's the best way to kind of to get that conversational, you know, right like you speak. So just start talking about your practice, why you started it, and then that almost forms the basis of of your copy. You know, don't sit there trying to be like, how can I sound smart? And that's when you just come up with... (laughs) I've been trying that I've been many there years. too. Like <laughs> I, just, yeah, I know I do that every day. Like, <laughs> you just sometimes just have to be your, you know like yourself and, and, and write like you speak. And that's when it won't because I think another thing with websites is a lot of architects I've well my clients will come like, you know, I want to be quite witty and bold and that. Then I'm talking to them and they're so introverted. And I'm like, someone's (laughs) gonna look at your website and there's like bold colours and flashing and they're gonna meet you, and you're like so shy. Like that causes mistrust and misalignment, right? Like your website has to reflect who you are. So
0: yeah. Now I've got visions of someone in the corner who's very grey, just like, you know, with this amazing website.
2: (laughs) Can I just time. add to that? Because like I also I also find this so frustrating when I'm like let's we're getting into like the second half of the podcast, so we just get to sort of say what we find annoying about architects. Oh yeah, um, <laughs> <but> <laughs> I, 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 um, I find this such an such a frustrating thing when architects tell me about things that they've like intentionally left off the website because they like don't really want clients to know about it. Um, that ranks <laughs> me so angry um because it's just deceptive and it makes it so hard to trust you like i've had i i've spoken architects that like like say for example last year they had to maybe let a couple of staff go unfortunately with a pandemic or whatever so they decided to like delete their team page because they don't want people to see that like (laughs) we're a small company we want them to think that we're big and hearing stuff like that and it it comes and it comes back to nikita's point of like you know, what happens when they walk in the office? Are you going to, like, go down to the local theatre school and hire extras (laughs) to, like, go sit in the desks and stuff and pretend to work? Like, um, there's there's no point being dishonest. And Mm. I think that, you know, people appreciate transparency. Yeah. And, you know, in my own website, I try to... Any, anything I could literally think of sharing, I share it. And that may not be the best advice for everybody, but I like to operate on the principle that when somebody comes into my business to work with me, mm-hmm. they know everything that I would tell them in a, in a meeting or a conversation or a fee proposal. I almost want my website to like replace me as a salesperson. Yeah. And I'm in mm-hmm. marketing, so I kind of have like cultural permission to do that. We're used to marketers having like way too... Markety websites. Maybe architects can't go fully that way. But I think the more you put out there of yourself and what you're really like and what your business really does and how you actually operate, if you are looking for better quality clients, that's how you'll get them because they will come to you and they will be already on the same page, share a similar philosophy, appreciate the same kind of work and already be accepting and having the right expectations of what you're going to do for them and what you do and what you don't do. And that's going to be the type of client that you go, oh my God, I'm so blessed to get to work with these amazing clients and I don't have to do anything to convince them to work with me. My website has already done it. So, I would... I. Just think transparency is extremely important when it comes to your website and not hiding stuff. And Nikita, you just made me remember like thousands of clients telling me things that they like, where they just basically tried to do the opposite of whatever they really were. And it was just, it's just such a, such a mistake.
0: But it's that whole authenticity thing again, isn't it? Which I think is so important to people. But also if you're honest and open on who you are on social, on your website, it helps qualify people, right? So by the time they come to you, yeah. they know what to expect. Saves you a shed load of time. I don't know when you start winning work. Even um, your even
3: the contact page. I always tell my clients like that is like your bouncer. Like that don't just hey you know have a name and then message. Like put in fields. Like really test them. Like because otherwise you get all these inquiries. You probably spend half your day responding to them, and they're not even like good leads. So, you know, ask them what their budget is. Ask them, you know, describe, have you worked with an architect before? Like, describe your project in 100 words. Like, make it really hard for them. Um, the harder, the better the quality, as Dave said, clients
0: will come through. Yeah. But so, uh, yeah, and it saves you a ton of time as well, isn't it? I mean, I think mean, that's the key thing. Um, so my next question is, so... I'm going to ask you another controversial question. So do you think marketing and selling are seen as a dirty word by the architecture profession? I'm going to throw that one at Nikita. (laughs)
3: Um, I think, look, it's changing. I would say, I mean, generalizing a lot, but the emerging architects that are coming up um, that have kind of just, you know, maybe a bit not being ageist but like a bit younger um they maybe have been exposed to it and they're a bit more adapted. I find my clients that have been in the industry for 25 years or more they're the ones that maybe still see marketing and selling as a little bit dirty whereas I think the merging architects are quite I mean they've grown up in an era and they've been educated at school and stuff where they're like it's part of it it's part of running and they run their Practices more like a business, you know, with Archie Biz and all these great um, resources out there. I think yeah. hopefully that mindset shift, if you do see it like a business, then you are open to, you know, marketing is a function of that. So,
0: just yeah. like HR Maybe or anything else truth. that you need yeah. to do. Yep. Exactly. So, it's, Dave, is marketing a dirty word? Marketing and
2: selling? Give me more time to think about it. Go to Amy. (laughs) 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 Amy.
0: (laughs) I think, look, I
1: think it is. I think they always think that is, um, that it is a dirty word. And, um, but I think there's a few different reasons for that. Like, um, I think, you know, Nikita's right. Like a lot of the younger practices that are coming through and the emerging practices, you know, they're very open to it and they're, they're also open to taking advice about it, you know. They're not, they're not shy about learning more about marketing and, and how they can make it better for their business. So I think um, I do find some of the, the, um, the older practices or maybe the, the practices who have been around 20-plus years um they tend to overthink everything you know like they're they're scared about they're scared about what does it mean for my um you know my reputation what is it going to say about me what does it mean about the work that we're going to do moving forward and um actually what it comes down to is just getting your work out there like people um just you've just got to keep moving forward like I think you know it's why we all struggle as marketers with email newsletters with clients because they they want to make it perfect you know they're they're aiming for perfection and um i don't think it's ever going to um fit the perfect um ideal that they have in mind you know it's never going to be a hundred percent um and i also just think you know in in today's day and age of being in a digital environment you know things are every 24 hours things are refreshed and changed over all the time you know um things yes you've got to be consistent and yes that's got to be memorable but you know, it's sort of forgotten about twenty four hours later, and then yeah. it's like, well, what's happening next? You know, it's like, what's what's coming next? And don't be so afraid of just um, getting your ideas out there and um, and testing new things. Is probably my advice.
0: So, Dave, is okay. marketing and selling a dirty word to architects? Yes or oh, no? Absolutely. Yeah, like a hundred
2: percent. It. I think. I. I think like there are there are architects that view it probably in a more. Um, in a more positive light and probably have a better understanding of how good marketing can be and how good marketing can be done. They've maybe paid more attention to that or they're better educated. So they have a more of an open mind, those ones that Nikita is referring to. But for a lot of architects um, that don't, you know, they're not really observing much that's going on in the marketing world, they tend to notice bad marketing a lot more and they sort of associate marketing with bad marketing, that there is only mm. bad marketing. They don't really think about good marketing. Like what does good marketing look like? Yeah. And when they look at the architects they like, they don't really connect this idea of, oh, their marketing's actually influencing mm. me. Or how are they, they doing it? How yeah. did I how did I form that conclusion? I haven't <laughs> met them. I haven't been to any of their buildings. Yeah, I still think they're my favorite architects, secretly. Right? So how? So like, we don't we don't really f- dwell on good marketing. So I think there's that factor, and there's this bit of a perception that you know the the worse you are as an architect in terms of your 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 mad drawing board skills, you know, the more architect, the more marketing you have to do. So the more marketing you're into, and the more in, you invest in marketing, the worse you are as an architect. So this is kind of like there's a stigma that's associated with it as well, and you know, it's just. Um, I think, I think there, is a, there is some truth to the idea that your work pl- is the single biggest differentiator in like your marketing success, in my opinion. Mm. I think that architects should be striving to do the best work that they possibly can. But we recognize that, you know, architects aren't in full control Of everything, and sometimes the architects that seem to put out the best work are the ones that it turns out they were their own client, or their client was their brother, or whatever. Like, there's always a lot of that sort of thing because they did get full control. And you know, not every architect is going to get full control. They're not always going to they're going to strive, but they may not always get their work executed as perfectly as it possibly could. Yeah, it's basically the procurement model, doesn't it? Yeah, it 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 does. And and what we want to think about holistically is marketing involves. You know, I like to try and work with my clients on many uh, thinking outside of just like social media and email and website and stuff like that. But thinking all the way back to like how you pick the right clients that are going to that are going to try to or how you filter for bad clients, how you pick the right clients, mm. um, how you're going to create an environment that's going to make it as easy as possible for y- you to do really good work, because that's kind of where the marketing starts, you know. Um and then going through to just really investing in quality, I think in your photography and your video and stuff like that. Um, some architects want to explore other channels and they're more game to do that, like where it where it is maybe a little bit more 21st century stuff, like, you know, the the lead magnets and whatever, or running Facebook ads. Like that stuff is a little bit more marketing y. But you know, yeah, but but I think I think if you're if you're really business driven, you shouldn't be limited by like just hoping your portfolio turns out you know, the way that you hoped it would, because, yeah. you know, it may still be brilliant, but if you, no can, one you might it. want to do more. You might yeah. have loftier goals. You might have higher aspirations. And so no one, no one comes to a marketing consultant because they're absolutely satisfied with exactly the quality of the client I have right now and the quantity of the client I have right now. There's always, I want to achieve more. I want more clients or better clients in some real practical or specific way. Yeah, How do I do that? And that's where marketing comes in because marketing can help you to do that. And so if you are like driven and you do have goals and you're aspiring to do bigger and better things with your practice, then marketing is going to be a really good way for you to do it.
0: Totally agree. I, and I also think it's the thing of we kind of come from it at a different angle and we ask them lots more questions and in, in, interrogate them, dare I say it. Um, and I think that's yeah. an important part of what we do is, you know, to ch- challenge their thinking and actually, have you considered this? And, 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 and that's an important part of the process. Um, in terms of what we do. Okay, so. um, So, um, I think I'm going to go into my final question, actually. So, what one tip would you give to business leaders now about how to make a dent as we head towards kind of recovery and into kind of the rest of 21, 2021 and 2022? I'm going to give that one to Amy.
1: Um, I think the biggest thing is about, um, you know, being consistent, but also measuring what you're doing and adapting. You know, don't be um, frightened of trying and testing new things, um, but definitely be open to um, adaptation of, of what you're doing and how that's going to help you move your practice forward. I think if you, you know, if you're looking at a 12-month strategy, um, I think you're probably in the wrong place. You know, I think it's got to be shorter term maybe it's a a three-month strategy that you uh, follow through on and then remeasure um and adapt what you're doing um to the market and i think that's the only way that people can recover out of this is is um um, to keep evolving as a practice
0: and what's your one tip nikita in terms of people coming out of kind of recovery and the crazy year we've had
3: yeah, I think we touched on it, but it would probably be like, don't try and do it yourself because you're not going to find the time that like, you need to at least recruit someone to help you stay accountable. Um, again, as Amy said, consistency is key. So, you know, hire a marketing expert to come in um, and yeah, take care of it for you. So it's just one less thing you have to, you know, have hanging at
0: the bottom of your to-do list. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. And finally, on to you, Dave, what is your one tip? So as we head into recovery, I think
2: it's going to be a sort of an extension of Nikita's in a sense of like one thing that I've realized over the last, probably it's become so important over the last sort of six, 12 months is that if you are working on your marketing, it's not like the other tasks that you have when you're running an architecture practice, because it is so based on doing like a Pretty consistent amount of hours on a given monthly basis. Like maybe you do two hours a month on it and you should pretty much be doing that every month. And as an architect, I guarantee 99% of you do not have systems in place in your office designed towards getting you doing a set amount of something each month. It's always based on priority and urgency because you have deadlines and you completely work around deadlines your marketing does not have deadlines. Yeah. So you need to make sure that you're not using your regular system that you use to keep yourself accountable and figure out what you're doing for your marketing. It has to be separate. So I, rec- I recommend getting, making sure you're using a calendar and actually going ahead of the month ahead and blocking out marketing time. Then once you've done that and protected it, then figure out what you're going to do with that time to get the m- maximum effect out of that time. That's like having a great idea of what you're going to do is so much less important than actually budgeting that time and doing it and also working with somebody who can help you like Nikita said like and and and, and you know that, that is extremely helpful in terms of what you do in that time right that's where you're going to get a lot more bang for your buck if you've got somebody who's helping to guide you and like it's like having a personal trainer at the gym. It's, it's like, like tracking you. You to can stuff you that can, works, you can yeah. go in there and just start like picking up dumbbells and start <laughs> pushing machines around or whatever. But there's somebody who has helped who's helped other people and who can say you should be doing this, this, and this in this time, and then later yeah. on we'll move on to this, this, and this. Right. So, but I think the first thing to do is get that time available because you cannot completely outsource your marketing as an architect. That would be a massive mistake in my opinion. So you're gonna ultimately need to be accountable for it and then make the time. Brilliant.
0: Thanks so much for listening to the latest episode of Marketing in Times of Recovery. And I'm your host, Iowa Bass. If you want to find out more about the bi-weekly show, do check out the show notes, which will give you more information about who the guests are and all the things we've covered. Uh, And if you're listening on Apple or Spotify, make sure you hit the subscribe button so you don't miss out on an episode. Until next time. Bye.